Well, if you know that story, you know a little bit of it from just that story, or from that video, but Jesus talks about the woman, and he talk about rightful worship and, and what it's going to be like, and, and Jesus says that uh, there was kind of a day when God's people worship in spirit and in truth. And, um, and so today, that's exactly what we're talking about, um, is worshiping and worship in the spirit. So we have been in a series in 1 Corinthians. Um, we've talked a lot about a lot of different things. It's called church issues because he's talking about all kinds of issues that this local church had. This is a very real, tangible book written to a group of people that were having issues. They were, they were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. It, church was a new thing in general. Christianity was a new thing in general. This is first century, uh, just a few years, 40 or 50 or so years after Jesus had um, been uh, killed, you know, was alive, was killed on the cross, and was resurrected. And, and this church is trying to figure out, okay, how do we follow him? How do we live this deal out? And so they had a lot of questions. So Paul is the pastor that planted the church, and he's writing back to them, answering lots of their questions, addressing some of the issues that come up. And so I know that none of you have ever had a disagreement or ever observed a disagreement or had any issues over music at church, but nonetheless, we'll take a minute. That was a joke, because there's been so many divisions about Music at church, hasn't there? You have, if you've not been in one, right, then you've heard about one, right? Churches have planted in a negative sense because, well, we don't like what they're doing, so we're going to go do it our way. And there is all sorts of strife, worship wars, contemporary versus hymns and uh, instruments, no instruments, which kinds of instruments, and all sorts of turmoil and strife comes up when we talk about the worship through music that happens in the church. And so Paul... In 1 Corinthians 14, which is where we're going to be, turn there with me if you would, um, which is where we're going to kind of start, if you will. Paul um, says something really interesting that I think is helpful and insightful, and we're going to take a minute. He, he sort of says it in passing, but we're going to take some time and, and dwell on it just a bit. So 1 Corinthians 14, Paul makes this mention about worshiping in, in, um, with our mind and with our spirit. And it's in this context of spiritual gifts, right, and speaking in tongues and, and prophecy and being more in tune with the Spirit and the Spirit doing miraculous things in our midst. And we've talked a lot about that. If you're new and you're wondering what in the world our, our sermons can be found online, you could sort of catch up. But it's in this interesting context, and he says it somewhat in passing, but um, we are gonna, we're going to pause and dwell just a bit more because I think there's, there's a reason he says it in passing, and there's a reason we need to pause a bit. So uh, if you would, 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to read... Um, just, just a few verses, 13 through uh, 17. Actually, we'll probably go to 19. And then we're going we're gonna to kind of bounce around a bit and, and talk about worship in general. Uh, and then we're going we're gonna to end with an opportunity to continue in some worship. So if you would, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, starting at verse 13, says this, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? 
For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Let's pray. God, would you just help us with this text? Would you just help us with uh, this idea of singing in general? May we not be uh, divided on it, but rather unified by it, Lord. Um, And may uh, we see music find its rightful place in our church, and also accomplish its rightful purposes in our church. So help us with this, Lord. Use your word, use me during this time to, to uh, preach your word and nothing else. Um, and Father, would you give us hearts and ears to hear and receive? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, it's, it's mentioned uh, pretty much in passing here in this passage where he's talking about uh, a list of other things in the context of spiritual gifts. But, uh, and, and so it's, it's almost assumed that they, these people are worshiping in the Spirit, and, and, and that's something that Paul doesn't take the time to address, address directly. It's almost assumed, but I, I don't want to assume, because my guess is that the Corinthian church uh, didn't look quite as sleepy and disengaged as we sometimes do um, here at the journey, and then, you know, lots of churches throughout, I'm not, not just us, but I've told y'all before, like, we, we you know, we, Jesus is alive, we need to tell our faces. Like, sometimes we struggle with, with worship, and, and, and I get it, there's sometimes, there's, there's good reason, and we don't always know what to do. There's some very practical things and hesitations, and like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be fake, and I don't want to, I don't want to pretend, I don't want people to think I'm drawing attention to me, and, and I get it, there's all sorts of social dynamics that, that happen, and that's why I want to take a moment to to talk a bit about it. But, but the reason I think it was a bit assumed here is because these are people that are experiencing um, God moving in supernatural ways, right? They're seeing the gifts of the Spirit come about. They're, they're, they're seeing people speaking in tongues and, and prophecies happen and healings and miracles and things like that. And, and usually in a church that is um, practicing those gifts or at least tolerant of those gifts, they generally have more expressive worship. Right? There's generally a correlation. I'm making some general statements. This isn't this, isn't this cut and dry. This isn't always true. But there's generally a correlation between um, expressive worship and, and a charismatic you know, background of a church. Right, Those that are more charismatic in nature where they experience and pursue the spiritual gifts tend to have a more expressive and um, emotive worship service. You'll see a lot more people raising their hands, maybe even some people moving a little bit. You might see some rhythm. Um, you might see different things like that. Whereas there's, uh, there's other churches that are, are, are more concerned with um, other parts that are, that are just as good. The word. So really what you have is a word focus oftentimes with the churches, and then some churches are spirit focused, right? And so sometimes you have these different um, churches that kind of diverge here and and you have churches that are more you know, charismatic in regards to spiritual gifts. They tend to be more expressive, not always, but they can be um, light on their theology at times. But, but here's, here's what happens. Um, a lot of times people will go to those churches, they'll go to different churches, and they may have a reaction uh, similar to this, where, where they say, man, the, the worship was really engaging and the people were really, really warm, but the teachings were kind of light. There was no depth, perhaps. Scriptures are often taken out of context. 
um, and spontaneity seems to be everything, right? So people are warm, uh, passionate, singing, but sometimes they lack some depth, and scriptures are taken out of context. There's not spontaneity seems to be valued more than the Word of God, whereas other places um, seem to love expository preaching, right? A little bit longer sermons, perhaps. They love Bible study. They love theology, but they can lack life, right? They, they can, they can, people can seem cold and sort of unaffected by um, what they're reading, right? What they're studying. And so if you've, you've been to churches. I've heard people, we've had people come to our church and they've left the previous church because of very similar reasons where they will say, well, I, I love the worship, but I was just lacking some, some depth in the teaching. And then other places, will, other people will come and say, man, the teaching was great, but there was just no um, expression in worship. There was no passion. They didn't seem to believe what, the, what they were reading, what they were singing. They, they, didn't, they seemed unaffected by that. And that's what we have. A lot of times you get a word-focused church or spirit-focused churches and denominations and, and, and word-driven churches tend to be more focused on the content of their songs and their, and their sermons. They have an emphasis on doctrine and learning or reinforcing beliefs, right? And those churches tend to be skeptical of emotion, right? Tend to be a little bit skeptical of of emotion, where you have, on the other side, you have spirit-driven churches that tend to be focused more on experience and, and feeling, right? Where that seems to be what, what they're valuing more is less about the emphasis on the word and doctrine and beliefs, but more on an experience and, and a feeling and, and, and that sort of thing. So those can tend to be a little bit lighter on the teaching depth. They, they can tend to value emotional response over substantive Teaching. Again, those are generalizations. There are plenty of churches that do that, do both of those things, and that is indeed what we're going to strive to do. Now, some of you would say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with having some churches that are more expressive and more, you know, um, pursuing those, you know, that emotional or that, those experiences in worship, you know, and, and then having some that aren't? I, I, I kind of prefer to pick my lane and, and stay in it. Like, what's wrong with that? Isn't it better to have... Because here's the deal, we'll, we'll, we'll see this, but God has indeed made music, and some of us are more infect, affected by it than others. Some of us desire that. Some of us value that part of the, the church uh, service more than, than other parts, right? And so some of you would prefer to just be able to pick, well, I want to go to a church that's super expressive and passionate in their worship. And others of you are like, I don't. That makes me uncomfortable. I want to go to a church that, that sings some truth, preaches some truth, and I can leave and not have to... Uh, be emotional in any way or be moved in any way. And so some of you would prefer to just have it that way. But, but the problem with that, the reason we can't just be okay with those two camps and you know different sides of the deal is the Bible, right? Because the Bible tells us to value both, right? So explicitly here in this passage um, of 1 Corinthians, I, I think that that point is quite clear. But really the whole witness of Scripture when it comes to talking about worship um, tells us we need to value both word and spirit, right? We need to not choose one and pit them against one another, but rather hold both of them in context and pursue both of them and that they actually work together. But the whole point of what Paul is saying here in this passage is much like when someone is speaking in tongues, that is an experience for them personally between them and the Lord. And if there's no interpreter, no one else is being benefited by that. That's what Paul is saying. Um, but he's saying, and, but he's going to make it even more personal to say, when I pray in a tongue, in verse 14, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Well, he says, what am I going to do? Do I just stop praying in the spirit? Well, no, that's an overreaction. And that's what we do sometimes, right? That's what we do. Sometimes we see churches that are overemphasizing on, you know, 
the, the spiritual, emotional, personal experience, and they never said anything substantial. So we're going to swing the pendulum way over here, and we're going to avoid all emotional expression, right? And we're going to just stay really uh, rigid, and our hands are going to be glued to our sides, and we're going to make sure that we're singing uh, you know, truths and old hymns and only hymns, and, and there'll be no distractions, no temptations toward emotionalism, right? And then on the other side, people go to a church like that and say, man, that place was so cold and so unaffected. I don't want anything to do with that. So we're going to swing the pendulum way over here and say, man, we're, we're just going to pursue this experience and this feeling above all else. Paul says, no, no, no. What, what's Paul say? He says, well, it, I'm going to pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. What Paul's saying is, I'm going to continue to pray in tongues privately. That's an experience that edifies me with the Lord. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, but he, so I'm not going to stop doing that. But I'm also going to be intentional about praying with my mind. Well, what does he mean? I'm also going to be intentional about praying things that I can understand and that others can understand because that is good too. And those things both come together. So likewise, he says, um, I'll pray with my mind also, but I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So he's saying we don't need to, to choose one and pit it against another. Instead, we do both. So some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Isn't it just music? Isn't it just um, you know, a part of the service that we do? Does it, does it really matter, spirit and mind or whatever? And so let, let, we're going to do just a few um, thoughts on worship in general. Why do we have um, such a, a portion of our services? Uh, not, not just us. Most churches have a, just a large portion of their services devoted to music. Why is that? What's going on there? Why is it so important? Um, and then we're gonna um, we're gonna end with some practical okay how you know practical encouragements for us as a church. And then we're gonna we're gonna center our time on the real reason why we worship. And then we're gonna move back into a time of worship. So why do we sing? Why do we sing? Um, well, first of all, because um, God tells us to. Like first and foremost, God tells us to over and over again in the scriptures. And, and, and I don't have time to fully unpack a theology of why we sing. As some people get into like, well, why does God need us to sing praises to him? Is he, you know, this egocentric, you know, insecure God that needs us to tell him how great he is? And, and that, that's not true. God needs nothing from us. But God loves us, and he wants us to experience the fullness of life. And the only way to do that is through, he is the source of life. And so to worship him, to behold him, to glory in him is indeed part of loving, being in relationship with him and enjoying and experiencing what he has for us. And so it's actually for our benefit that we worship God um, and he inhabits those praises in this really beautiful way. So, so God has made music in an incredible grace toward us um, in such a way that we could see that, that music gets down to the like depths of our soul in a way that mere words don't. Right? And you know this even apart from worshiping God, right? You know that music, whether you, you know that music can, can just affect you. Right? Music is played at different points in a movie, right? To why? Well, to, to cause your emotions to sort of track with what's going on, to rise and fall. It, it stirs you in such a way that if you take that out, it, it doesn't have the same effect. You know that the different songs, secular songs, uh, um, can, can stir you in such a way that they cause you to want to dance. They cause you to, to sort of shout with joy. And it may have nothing to do with the gospel, but 
it causes you to, to be stirred, right? So we know that. We know that um, all throughout history there has been composers and, um, and musicians who have wrote, written incredible pieces of, of work that have transcended time and essence in such a way that they're celebrated throughout all people groups, right? Because it just pierces and penetrates even if you don't, if there's no words involved perhaps. And so God is, God is not caught off guard by that. God designed that. Bob Coughlin says it this way. Um, well, let me find, he said it somewhere. He said that God has taken the most precise way of communicating truth, which is words, and he's combined it with the vaguest way of communicating truth, which is music, and he's put them together to make singing. The purpose is that we know with our minds, or what we know with our minds gets connected in our hearts. What he's saying there is that music is, is made to help us feel the gospel, right? To, to take what we know with our minds and help us to feel it in our hearts. So the first reason we sing is because it stirs up um, and expresses God-glorifying emotion. Like it, it, and that's a good thing. Like it stirs our affections for the Lord, and that is a good thing. Some of you are not familiar with your affections, and that will be hard for you to process, but it is a, is a good thing for us to feel, not for the sake of feeling, but, but stirred by the truth that is in the Scriptures. And that's why we have to have both word and spirit. We have to be saying something, right? We have to be saying something um, of substance. Otherwise, it kind of goes back to what Paul was saying here in, in 1 Corinthians 14. Somebody may be expressing worship in a really powerful way where you can look at them and go, man, that person was really moved. right? But you, if the song that they're singing doesn't say anything of substance, then how are you going to know why they're worshiping? Right? That's why we're pretty intentional with the songs we choose here at The Journey. There may be songs that are really, really good for, for personal worship and that you know the truth that they're expressing, but if it's not explicitly stated, um, then, then we want to be careful. We either want to state it before we sing it or we want to be careful about singing it because if it can be true without Jesus having gone to the cross and, rose and, and risen from the grave, then we don't want to sing that here. Right? If it can be true, if we could sing that song and and G there was no, no you know, need, there's, you know, that could be true. We could sing it without Jesus having gone to the cross or coming out of the grave. Then we, we don't want to sing that in corporate worship. It might still have a place in, in your own personal worship time and, um, you know, in context with some other things. But we want to be careful about that. Why? Because what Paul says is, hey, you may be given thanks well enough, but if somebody comes in, they're like, well, I don't know why that person's so excited. Well, then it, it didn't serve its true purpose, Right? And so we want to have both word and spirit. And at the same time, we don't want to have this overly intellectual experience where we're singing all, like, man, there's some songs that are so rich in truth. And if we sing them with just simply a stoic face and, and know we're unmoved by it, then what does that say to the person who comes in and observes our church? What does that say? If they're like, man, if this is true, if God came down out of heaven, lived a sinless life on our behalf, died on the cross where we should have died and then was raised again to life. And he, and he gives us that as grace. He gives us mercy by not punishing our sins and gives us grace by giving us life in Christ. If that is true and we're unaffected by it, then that says something 
as well. That says something to one another. It says something to the person coming in. And so it has to be both. We want to be both moved in worship, but also the, the, the reason why we're moved in worship needs to be clear as well. And so um, that, it, but again, it is for, it is, we, we sing because God has given us music to stir deep within us in a way that just mere words don't. And you know this to be true. If you just read some of the lyrics of your favorite songs, you just have somebody read them out loud in a matter-of-fact voice, it doesn't have the same effect on you as when they are put to music and sang. Uh, but back to God commanding us to, to sing. Um, well, first of all, the, the largest book in the Bible is called Psalms. And what are Psalms? Well, they're songs. Right? They're poems and songs, and, and most of them are written to the choir master right? to be sang by the people uh, of God. Right? The, the largest book in the Bible is a collection of songs. So God's heart for setting words to melodies is evident from an even a casual reading of Psalm. Bob Coughlin goes on to say, he says, um, he quotes from the Psalms, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. From Psalm 96 and Psalm 47. In just four verses, we're commanded to sing seven times, just in those little four verses. All told, the Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. In the New Testament, we're commanded uh, not once but twice to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another when we meet. And so so that, that is a part of it as well. Like it's not just singing them when you're alone in your car, uh, but actually when we meet, it's commanded to be a part of our services. Ephesians 5 and Colossians chapter 3 both Talk about this. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 has a similar encouragement. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, give thanks to the Father. So, so those two times are explicitly written to churches, and, and we're told to do that in the midst of one another, to be filled with the Spirit, and then to sing. That that is a, that is a part of the life of the church. Well, why? Well, it stirs our affections. Right? We're commanded to it's worship to God, and then Actually, in Colossians 3, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's another reason we're commanded to sing, because singing helps the word of God get down in us in a way that mere reading of words doesn't. So you know this. You know your ability to memorize songs, whether you want to or not, right? You know how, like, nobody wanted to memorize Baby Shark, but you all know it, don't you, Right? And now you're singing it, and you're cursing me in your head, and you're welcome. That's the power of song is it just it, it comes in, and it, and it stays in a way. It's embedded in you in a way that otherwise it wouldn't be. Okay, so that's, that's, an, like, that's another reason God gives us music, so that the Word of God would dwell in us in a rich way through song, that we would remember the melodies 
and not just the melodies, but the words that are attached to them, and that that's what carries us through so many of the hard times in our life. So, so that is a part of like just the common grace gift of music to us that we would, would you, you know this, you, you know this to be true. Like anybody who, uh, like the culture knows this because all of a sudden, uh, ever since Disney Plus released Hamilton, right, a few months ago, now all of a sudden everybody knows a whole lot more about American history, don't they? At least my kids do, right? And that, why? Because they've learned it through song, and it's an incredible and powerful gift. My, again, it's not all 100% accurate. That's not the point of the deal. But, but, but through that, everybody is suddenly learning all of this stuff about, you know, our, our American fathers and, and these, these different things that they went through. Why? Because music has a powerful way to, to get things embedded in our hearts. So when it comes to the, the word of Christ dwelling in us, music plays an incredible role in that. So... What do we do about it? So the Bible tells us to do it. There's, there's, there's lots of reasons and, and, and many that I, that I didn't cover and can't cover today. We're commanded to do it. Um, in fact, one that I left out, Ephesians talks, that, that passage in Ephesians talks about us being filled with the Spirit and it relates it to, uh, to not being drunk with wine, but rather to be filled with the Spirit. Well, that's not about this uh, moving to this place where we have slurred speech and, and we lose control. Rather, it's talking about uh, the control, right? It's talking about being um, controlled by the Spirit, right? Like when it comes to alcohol, it's not if you drink or whatever, and it's not how much. It's, it's not how much you drink. It's not how much can I have, but when does the alcohol have me, right? Okay, now you've crossed the line. The Bible says that's whenever you, you've... you've uh, You've, you've sinned there because there's uh, a surrendering of your capacities, of your mind and of your abilities, right? And so that's when you've crossed a line with alcohol. Well, Paul says instead of doing that, right, and you lose your ability to talk clearly, to think clearly, to, you know, not do things that you should do, all of those things. But instead of doing that, Paul says, pursue being filled with the Spirit. What does he mean? Well, in the same way that we surrender control to ourselves when we too much alcohol, too much of a substance, we should surrender control of ourselves to the Spirit. That's what produces the fruit of the Spirit. That's what produces the, the making of a disciple um, and the, the conviction of sin and all those things. So we surrender control of ourselves. And, and here's, John Piper is so helpful. I've attached a couple of articles uh, to the digital bulletin part, portion of your app. We encourage you to check them out later. But he's so helpful in that he says that Singing is not just a response to grace, and it is that. But I think that's how we think about it a lot. God has done these things, so we respond to him by singing. He says singing is also a means of grace, meaning that when we sing, God shows up in power and does something. Okay, there's a couple particular stories. Second Chronicles chapter 20, God's people are facing an enemy. And part of what, actually a couple different times God uses music, right? One time it's trumpet. But in Second Chronicles 20, God uses an enemy, or God's people are facing an enemy. And part of his battle plan is for his people to worship him through song. And as they worship him through song, he shows up and squashes their enemy. He shows up and fights for them and wins a battle for them. We see in, in Acts, um, I, not sure which chapter I think. I want to say 17, but I might be making that up. But, but Paul and Silas are in prison in a Philippian jail. And what do they do? They start singing. And all of a sudden, what happens? God causes right, things to happen. Their, their chains are, are broken off and they're set free. 
And not, not only that, but the jailer gets converted. His whole family gets converted. A, a church is birthed in the city of Philippi because they were singing hymns while they were locked up in a cold, dark prison. They're singing hymns. God does something in, those, in their midst. In Acts chapter 13, the church is to gather together, and they're worshiping and fasting and praying, and they're singing together, and God shows up and speaks to them and says, hey, set uh, Paul and Barnabas aside. We're going to send them out for mission. God shows up in, in, in powerful, powerful ways when his people Sing. So it's not just a response to grace, it's also a means to grace, meaning that, that God does something when his people sing, that it's a, it's a spiritual means of attack, of warfare, and we, we can expect God to move when we sing. So it's not just, well, if I feel like it or if, I, if I've got a pretty voice or whatever. No, it's just something that God's people are commanded to do because when we do it, God is pleased to move in powerful ways. That's why it's in the chapter about spiritual gifts. That's why we're talking about it in the midst of, as we're trying to learn to be more open to the Spirit's work in our church, that's why we're pausing and talking about singing because it has an incredible relevance and correlation to, if we want to see God move powerfully, it oftentimes happens when his people are singing and worshiping him in the spirit. So, like, they're just, that's the whole point of the Samaritan, like, that's what Paul, or Jesus was saying to the Samaritan woman, like, there's going to come in a day where it's not going to, we're not going to have to debate about whether we worship on this mountain or this mountain. No, it's going to be in spirit and in truth. Like that's what's going to cause people, God's people to be identified. In Philippians 3.3, 3, it talks about like we are, we're people no longer identified by the, by the circumcision, but rather um, by the spirit. Like it, it is through the spirit that we're identified as God's people. So when we sing together, it's this incredible grace moment, and it, it speaks to our unity as a church. We don't have time to talk about that a ton, but there's so many reasons that God has given us this gift of singing. And so um, some, some practical encouragement. If you're here and you're like, man, I, 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 I get you, Jordan, but like, I don't think people want me to sing, right? Like I don't, right? I can't carry a tune. Like some of you, that's you. Like I, I, I literally, I can't do this, Jordan. Like people don't want me to do this. Like it, it won't go well. Well, I, I just want to encourage you and and the, the article I attached by John Piper does an even better job of this. But, but listen, it's not about that. All of you can sing. There's not a single person in here that, that can't sing. Now, some of, not everybody can sing well. Not everybody should have a microphone and be leading. But all of you can sing. And if you think that, that your inability to carry a, a pleasant melody is what keeps, you know, God's not really interested in you singing but wants to hear others, then simply look at it this way, and this is what, I'm stealing this from John Piper, uh, but, but he says, listen, if, you have a, if, if you're a parent and you have a kid, you know that whenever they come in and they say, Daddy, can I sing you a song? It's like a four-year-old kid. Like, they start singing, and they're all over the place. They don't track with melody yet. They don't, they don't, like, they're getting three or four songs mixed together, but, but are you angry at them? Like, are you telling them to, to stop it? No, no, no. You're, you're so overwhelmed with joy, and you just want to hold them. You're, you're, you're pleased that your child is bringing you this song. And likewise, when it comes to, to, to God's people, like he's not looking for just those with a beautiful voice to sing to him. It's, it's all of us. It's all of his children. And when his children come to him with song, his love is 
is on full display to the extent that he says, okay, who's got a problem with my kids? And then 2 Chronicles 20, he comes and handles it because those are his kids. They're singing to him, and I'm going to protect them. I'm going to show up. I'm going to give them grace. He, it's this beautiful relational aspect. And so it's not about your song. Full disclosure, that's why I said up front. Some of you are like, well, I just thought you wanted people to see. No, no, I don't care if you see me worshiping. I don't really want you to hear me worshiping because it can be distracting, right? A couple of guys went to a conference with me and they sat in front of me and, uh, and they were like, dude, Jordan, I could, you know, but like you were all over the place. I, yeah, I'm not gifted when it comes to my voice, but you know what? I really, really love to worship and, and God gives a particular grace to me during worship. I noticed during the, the first few weeks of the, the quarantine pandemic, like all of that, when we weren't gathering corporately, like we were still doing things digitally and whatever, and it was good, but my heart was drying up and withering, and I finally realized like a few weeks in, it's because I was missing corporate worship. Like it is a particular grace to me that, that I love, and I get it. Some of you are more inclined to that than others, right? And you're the ones that have came, come to me and said, hey, you know, if we're going to talk about these spiritual gifts, then we need to probably figure out this worship ministry thing or, or whatever. Like, and, and I get it. We're in a unique season of uncertainty with what does that look like, but Nonetheless, like God tells us to commit to worship, not just when we have a worship leader in place, not just when it's good, not when we feel like it, but rather when we gather, we sing songs, and he gives us this particular grace in the midst of our singing. It's a beautiful, beautiful deal. So sing, period. If you don't feel like it, confess that to the Lord and then sing anyway, Okay? If, you don't, if you're not into it, you're not feel, just say, Lord, I'm, I'm struggling today, and then just sing anyway. And then check your posture. This is just some practical encouragement. Check your posture. Right? What, what do I mean by that? Well, listen, when you're talking to someone, it matters how they're facing you. Their body language matters, doesn't it? If you're trying to talk to somebody and they're just like, you know, they're, okay, yeah, yeah, and they're you know, kind of looking at their phone, oh, that's cool, you know, or, or if they're just like, really, can you stop? You know, like, that sends a certain message, right? But if they're locked in, and, you know, and they're nodding along with you, that sends a different message. So listen, your posture matters. It's not just about raising hands. I'm going to talk about that briefly, but, but your posture matters in worship. If you're just, if it, you know, you're just real clear, you're not going to get me to, you're not going to get me to cry. You're not going to get me to move, you know. Well, that says something to the people around you. It says something to God. Your posture matters. It's not just about hands being raised. It could be about kneeling. It could be, you know, it, it could be just you, like, receiving. You need to have a posture of worship and a posture of, of being attentive to the Lord during worship. You need to think about that. Think about how you look. Okay, and I do want to encourage you. Some of you are like, why do people raise hands? Do we need to do that? Does that make them varsity Christians? Are they super spiritual people? I'm just not there. What does that mean? I wish they'd stop. They make me feel, or maybe I want to do it, but then, oh, no, everybody's going to look at me, and I get it. There's all sorts of social dynamics. Here's, here's what I want to encourage you. Not that all of us are going to, in unison, we're not going to, it's not going to be this commanded thing. We all do it now. But, but I want you to know that there is biblical precedent for raising of your hands. Very, very, very explicitly, there's, there's lots of verses. I, I don't have time to read them all, but Psalm 63, 4 says, um, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will, or in your name, I will lift up my hands. Uh, Psalm 28, 1 and 2, I will lift my hands to, toward your most holy sanctuary. Psalm 80, 89, I will, every day I will call upon you, O Lord. I will spread out my hands to you. Psalm 119, 48, Psalm 134, 2, Psalm 141, 1 through 2, 
2 Chronicles 6, we see Solomon do it, Ezra 9, 5, Lamentations 3, 4, Nehemiah 8, 6, on and on. And Paul tells Timothy to have the men lift holy hands in prayer. Like it, so why do we raise hands? Well, first of all, there's a biblical precedent to do so. And then second of all, we don't, we're not Gnostics. We don't think that there's this spirit, like part of our body that's that spirit, or part of our being that's spirit, and then part of our body that, that's, that's physical. No, 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 God is a holistic people, and so our bodies matter. Our bodies matter. So when we worship, our, our bodies matter. What we do with them matters. So when we raise hands, like that's a sign of surrender. Like practically in battle, like I surrender, right? I I give in, like I surrender, like that's a, that's a sign, that, that's a sign of like desperation, I need you, right? And, and listen, your hands are expressive in everything else that you do. When you're anxious, when you're angry, what are your hands doing? They're balling up, right? They might, they might pound something, right? They, they, they're, your, your hands are a part of expressing everything else you do in your life, so why wouldn't they be a part of you worshiping God? Right? And so that, I just want to put that out there. So some of you are like, well, I've never raised hands before, so if I do it today, they're going to think I've, all of a sudden I've gotten really spiritual. And I get it. You get all up in your head. Stop it. Stop it. Get out of your head. Get into the Spirit. And just worship. Somebody asks you why you're doing it? Because like, the Bible told me to. Lay off. Right? Like, so let's, let's just let's worship together. Let's, let's check our posture. Let's check our our heartless worship with our mind. Like, we need to think about the words that are being sang. Let them stir us and have a, have a response. Like, all of that is, like, we're going to continue to lean into that in the coming weeks. We'll, but this matters. I'm going to close with this. Many of you know I had three daughters right out, right, right out of the bat. Um, me and my wife, so I got nine, seven, and, and five now. Um, I got a couple boys at the end, but I, something changed in me, particularly surrounding country music songs about daughters that I did not expect, right? Like, I've been to weddings before I had daughters, and I heard the daddy-daughter dances, and I knew there was songs, Stealing Cinderella and Butterfly Kisses and things like that. I heard them. I was like, oh, that's cute. That's a really nice song. I remember, like, the first time I went after having my first daughter, I'm, like, weeping. I'm like, what is happening to me, right? Like, I all, I'm, and then another time, I was in my in my truck, and I heard butter. I was like, oh my gosh, butterfly kisses! And I don't want her to grow up, but I'm just like, I'm a mess. I'm wrecked by it. Why? Because now there's a different. Now I feel it. Now it's attached to a a being. It's attached to a love. It's attached to a very real experience. It's not just this theory about daughters. No, no, I have them, and I love them dearly. And boys, you stay away. <laughs> Listen, some of you are here and you've heard songs about God your whole life. And they never really moved you. Well, I might just submit to you that it might be less about the songs and more about maybe you haven't really heard the gospel. Because like Bob Coughlin said, music is made to help us feel the gospel. So here's the deal. Hopefully you got communion on your way in or a cup. If not, there's some right on the tables right outside. But I want, us to, I want us to turn our attention to the elements of communion because in this we see that God so loved the world that, that he, he, he showed it. He displayed it. Romans 5.8 said that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? Listen. 
Apart from Christ, you have no hope. You're like, that's harsh. Yeah, it is. It's the truth. You're a sinner on your way to hell, apart from Christ, period. But God looked at the world and with such love and compassion said, no, no, I won't let this be. And he sent Jesus to ransom for himself a people. So this is what changes lyrics like, I was an orphan and I needed shelter. Right? And then before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. what transforms lyrics from just something we're singing about to something that 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 no it, it's it's us like we get this this is true of us because we have this god why because he has made a way he has given himself i needed rescue my sin was heavy but chains break at the weight of your glory i needed shelter i was an orphan but now you call me a citizen of heaven when i when i was broke Broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open when you call my name. Like we, when we hear that, we're, our, our minds are stirred and, and our emotions, our affections are stirred. Why? Because, oh, that's happened to me. I know Jesus in that way. He is mine and I am his. And, and, it, and it's, it's the difference between not having a daughter and having a daughter. All of a sudden, those songs mean something different. And so if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're not going to be affected by the songs in the same way. Or if you have, have kind of gotten cold to Jesus, perhaps this is a day whenever, like David said, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. May we be a people who are stirred by what God has done for us. What has he done for us? Well, he gave us his life. And he says, take this bread and remember that my body was broken for you. It wasn't just broken, but his blood was spilled out to the point of death. That his death, his blood, is what purchases our adoption. Our names are changed. We're citizens of heaven. Why? Because Jesus gave us his blood on our behalf. So likewise, he took the cup and he pours out. He says, this is the new covenant. This is where your hope lies. Blood must be shed, but I'll give it in your place. Take and drink.